Amen. Well, let us open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And as we, uh, as you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, we're, we're continuing actually in the Gospel of Matthew. And actually today we will be finishing the chapter of parables. And that is this chapter, right? Chapter 13, as we've been going, we spent, I think, a month already on just talking about the various parables. But a common theme of the parables has been this, the believer versus the unbeliever. And as a reminder to all of you, Jesus separated all people really into two categories. Those who believed and those who did not believe. I want to remind you that there was no separation regarding any type of race. There was no separation regarding any type of nationality. There was no separation regarding any type of color of skin. The only separation that there was, it was determined by your belief. And as we went through the parables, remember the parable of the, of the sower. How the seeds were thrown out and some fell on good ground and some did not fall on good ground. It fell on stony and, and thorny and, and just on the roadside. And as he revealed also, remember this, how believers and unbelievers would be separated. And how one would enter into the kingdom and the others would enter into the lake of fire. See, the Lord has one way of separating people, and that is by their belief and their unbelief. And that is the title of today's message, Belief versus Unbelief. The title is Belief versus Unbelief. And I, wanna, I want this really to hit home when it comes to people that believe, and of course those that don't believe. And I want to share with you first the blessings that come with people that believe or people that have faith. You know, God used a man named Abraham who because of his belief began a nation. That's the Jews. God used a man named Joseph who because of his belief saved a world from famine. God used a man named Moses who because of his belief delivered a nation from slavery there in Egypt, the world power. God used a man named Joshua, who because of his belief, conquered great enemies of Israel and settled the people in the land promised by God. God used a woman named Rahab, because of her belief, spared her family and herself from complete destruction. God used a woman named Deborah, who because of her belief, judged the nation and led this nation to conquer their enemies. God used a man named David, that because of his, uh, because of his belief, conquered a great giant and led a nation like no other king. God used a man named Elijah, who because of his belief, brought the dead to life, called a drought, brought fire down from heaven and was led into eternity alive. God used a woman named Mary, who because of her belief, gave birth 
to the Son of God. God used twelve men called apostles who because of their belief, they turned the world right side up and changed the course of history. God used a man named Paul who because of his faith to grow the church of God outside of the Jewish nation. God allowed a thief on the cross who because of his belief to enter into the kingdom of heaven. God led a man named Jonathan Edwards who because of his faith led the first great awakening. God used a woman named Amy Carmichael who because of her belief she saved many young women from temple prostitution in India. God used a man named Chuck Smith who because of his belief he played a major role in the Jesus movement and founded the Calvary Chapel movement with over 1,500 churches planted worldwide. And God will lead men who because of their faith to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I share this with you. This is only a short list of people who believed. Think about this, right? There are thousands of people that God used powerfully because of their faith. As they did amazing things for God and were given the gift of eternal life. Let me share now the outcome of those who do not believe. Adam and Eve, because of their unbelief, were, ca- were cast out of the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. The Pharaoh of Egypt, because of his unbelief, lost his firstborn son and was humiliated by God. These nations, the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, and the other Ittites, because of their unbelief, were all destroyed. The prophets of Baal, because of their unbelief, they were all killed. Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, because of her unbelief, was killed and eaten by dogs. King Saul, because of his unbelief, lost the kingdom of Israel. Michael, the wife of David, because of her unbelief, was barren and never had any children. Judas Iscariot, because of his unbelief, hung himself and will forever reside in hell. And all the people, because of their unbelief, forever will be separated from God and will have residence in the lake of fire. See, I share these things. I share the contrast of those who believe and those who do not believe. And I share this with you so that you can see the consequences of unbelief and how devastating they are and the blessings for belief and that are so tremendous and so countless. And as I share with you, what category are you in? And some of you may say, I believe in God. And that's great. 
But how great is your faith? Think of that. See, God has called each and every one of us not just to walk through this world, but God has called us and He has prepared for us great works that we should walk in them. Do you have the faith to walk in these great works that God has prepared for you? Think of that. Do you have the faith? And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to read Matthew 13 and we're going to read verses 53 to 58. And I'm going to separate this study into three sections. The first section is going to be Jesus' words and works. The next section will be the view of Jesus. And then the third section will be Jesus' response. And so let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 53. And it says this in Matthew chapter 13. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary called, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let me repeat the final verse here. Jesus did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, I mentioned to you that the first section was going to be about Jesus' words and works. You know, as we began here in verse 53, we're going to now expound on these individual verses. In verse 53 it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that He departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Think about that, right? They're talking about his words and his works. But when we look at the first verse there, it says that it came to pass that when Jesus had finished his parables, that he departed from there. Where is the there? It is believed, and I agree here, that he would have departed from Capernaum and actually went into Nazareth, which was his hometown. The distance between Capernaum and Nazareth is about 27 miles. That's walking distance. That would take around nine hours and a half. So it would be a nine hour and 20 to 30 minute walk. And when it When he left Capernaum, he went to Nazareth. And for those of you that are going to be joining us when we go to Israel, we're actually going to be in Capernaum. We're going to be in the Sea of Galilee. We're going to see, you know, the roads that Jesus was in. 
the time that he spent there, because this was his, his time where he spent in the ministry in Capernaum. But as we go back to Nazareth, Nazareth, I want to give you some clues about Nazareth. See, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. This is why it is written. Have you ever wondered why it is written on the cross? In John 19, verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Because this is where He spent His time. This is where He lived. And this is where He spent all of His time growing up. It wasn't where He was born. Where was He born? Bethlehem, right? But Jesus is associated with Nazareth. See, when He was born in Bethlehem, remember the angel told Mary, Jane, uh, Joseph and Mary to go now to Egypt. And then from Egypt they were told now, to go and to live in Nazareth. And this is all in Matthew chapter 2. And as he lived in Nazareth, he associated himself as, he became associated with Nazareth. That's why they call him the Nazarene. And he lived there up until the time when he appeared in the Jordan River. Because remember, from the age of 12 all the way to the age of 30, the Bible is silent. We don't know what happened to Jesus, right? We don't know the things that he was doing. But from that time, he was there in Nazareth and he finally appears in the Jordan River and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. But let's look at Nazareth, right? Let's look at the people, right? Because, see, we almost have a visual as to what is going on. It's, it's like many of you, how many of you grew up here in La Puente? A number of you grew up in La Puente. How many of you grew up in other cities, right? Many of you grew up in other cities and so people know you and they associate you, right? Because... They remember you as a child. See, imagine Jesus, right? Jesus as a boy growing up there in Nazareth. People would have seen him as a young boy growing up into a young man. Think about that. So they saw Jesus, right? Like any other normal man. He would have, normal boy, normal man. That's how they saw Jesus. And so they saw him growing up. But Nazareth, let's talk about this city. Let's think about this, right? When it comes to Nazareth, remember what Nathaniel the Apostle said about Nazareth in John 1.46? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Think about Nazareth, right? The reason this was said is because it was a humble place. Very much like Bridgetown. Very much like La Puente, a very humble place. And so when we think about this, right? Jesus, a normal child growing up in a very humble place. So you think to yourself, or these people that were elitists or thought they were above others would say, well, how can he, you know, how can, you know, this guy, he's just Jesus, right? He's, he grew up in this humble place. He was just a normal child. And so when he goes into this town, because remember, he was in Capernaum. Remember, he started the ministry at the age of 30. So he left, right? And, and he went into other places and spent most of his time in Capernaum. And so he goes back into Nazareth. And Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6 verse 2 actually gives us additional details. He actually says or tells us that it was, it was a Sabbath and so... Jesus would love to go into the synagogues and 
and teach the word. And so as we think about this, right, as Jesus left Capernaum, I mean left Nazareth, went to Capernaum and to these other cities, was this the first time that he went back to Nazareth to teach the word of God? You know, as we think about that, right, we think to ourselves, how many other times would Jesus have gone there? This is the first recording from Matthew and and Mark also gives us only one recording, and so does Luke give us one recording, but I don't believe this is the first time that Jesus went into Nazareth. When we look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us that, or it bundles these Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 4 as one account. I don't believe that they're all one account. See, And the reason why I don't believe it's the same account, because Jesus, according to Luke, went into Nazareth, there in Luke chapter 4 verse 16, right, into the synagogue. But this happened immediately after Jesus was tempted by Satan. So this would have been early in the ministry of Jesus, but when we look at Matthew, Jesus has already been in the ministry for some time. So when you look at these two I don't believe that Luke 14 is the same account that Mark 6 or Matthew 13 give us. Even though the result was the same, they both, at this city, they rejected Jesus. But I truly believe that Jesus gave Nazareth, Nazareth a second chance. And this is just Jesus, right? This is who He is. When we think about ourselves, Doesn't He give us chance after chance? And so He would have gone in there, right? And He would have taught the Word and and shared the truth. But we know that in both times, they rejected Jesus. But back to this event, right? Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. And when He teaches there in the synagogue at Nazareth, the people heard Jesus speak. And the first thing that they thought when they heard Jesus speak was where did this man get such wisdom? And how can he perform such mighty works? Think about that, right? This is what they're saying. They're saying, how can this man who grew up with us, we saw him as a boy, we saw him grow up as a young man, how can he get so much wisdom? And how can he perform such mighty works? So it's all about the words and the works. When we look at the works, and we're going to talk about these two, but when we look at the works, we know one thing in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, he gives us additional details where he says that there were very few healings by Jesus in Nazareth. But remember, Capernaum is just down the road. But they heard about all the miracles that he was doing in Capernaum and all the healings and mighty works that were performed. But let's talk about teachings. We're going to go first into teachings and we're going to go into works. Into words first and then works second. I want to talk about the teachings of Jesus. When I looked at the Bible, right, I was trying to find the descriptions as to how Jesus taught. And I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you four descriptions of how Jesus taught. The first one is this. 
As we read here, Jesus taught with wisdom. Think about that. This is what they're saying, right? That Jesus taught with wisdom. Here in verse 53, it gives us that. And I want to sort of just give you a, a short, brief description. See, when someone teaches with, with wisdom from above, he has the ability to judge correctly and then to give the best course of action based on what is known. And this is Jesus, right? He knew all things, right? And he knew consequences of unbelief. And he knew the blessings with belief. And so he taught with wisdom and he was able to expound on these scriptures because he had this wisdom. Wisdom like no other, right? How many times did they try to trump up Jesus, right? That they try to stump him, right? And then he would come back with a response that was like, wow. You know, we presented the case and then Jesus, what? Responds appropriately. They could never trap Jesus. The second description of how Jesus taught, Jesus taught with authority. In Luke 4.32 and Matthew 7.29, it states that He taught the Word with authority. Imagine this. Teaching with authority is teaching with power and conviction. Think about that. Teaching with authority is teaching with power and conviction. And this is how Jesus taught, right? He could teach with authority because, what? He is the living Word of God, right? And He has all power. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that that, that is a living Word. So, of course, He's going to teach it and then there's going to be conviction attached to it. The third description on how Jesus taught, it comes to us in Luke 4.22 and it's, The fact that Jesus taught the Word with grace. Imagine that. Jesus taught the Word with grace. It tells us there in in Luke 44 that He taught the Word in such a manner. See, teaching the Word with grace will always teach with love and gentleness, revealing unmerited favor. Revealing to all of us that, you know what, that you don't deserve any of this. That you cannot earn what I give you, but I just lovingly pour it out to all of you. And then the fourth description as to how Jesus taught is the fact that He taught the Word with power. Luke 4.22 states that Jesus spoke the Word with power. See, Teaching and speaking with power comes from someone who has been given all power and all authority. Think about that. And that is who Jesus is, right? He is a recipient of all power and all authority. And so, of course, He's going to be able to teach this way because that is who He is. He is the one with almighty power. And in summary, look at what When Jesus spoke, right, look at how people summarized it. In John 7.46, it says that the men who heard Jesus speak, they would say this about Him, No man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man, speaking of Jesus. 
See, why do you think that you and I marvel at the Word of God? See, as the Word of God teaches us truth, as the Word of God teaches us things that are contrary to what man would say or think, think about that. How many of us would ever think to love our enemies? How many would ever think that if somebody takes your cloak, give them everything else? You know, what if, who would ever teach that if someone punches you in the face, turn the other face? That is so contrary to the way we as men think. And that is why, you know, that the words that come here can only be from the heavens above. Because no one else would say these things. This is why we know it's truly the Word of God, because the Word of God knows our minds. Imagine this, it knows how you think, and it knows your heart, what it wants to do. And we know that because the Word of God knows this, this is why it cuts to the heart. As we talk about the word, the works now, Jesus does miracles that only God can do. And people did and do acknowledge this, right? When people are healed by Jesus, both yesterday and today, many know that it's Him, but does this mean that they're going to believe in Him? Think about that, right? Think about that. Just because they've been healed by Jesus and they know that He's healed, does this still mean that they will believe in Him? Look at the types of sickness and diseases that Jesus healed from Matthew 4.24. Then His fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed epileptics and paralytics and he healed them all see this is jesus's works and people have seen this and people have actually been healed and as there's been people that have been prayed in the name of jesus that these people have been healed but does that guarantee that the people will believe it doesn't it's no guarantee let's go now to the view of jesus and let's read this in verses 55 and 56 It says this, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Let's think about this, right? As we read this, right? Let's meditate on what Matthew is sharing with us. He's basically revealing to us what they thought, how they viewed Jesus. See, all of these Nazarenes that were there, right? They heard the words, they acknowledged the works of Jesus, but they still did not want to acknowledge who He is. They said, you know what? He spoke like no other. He taught like no other. He did miracles like no others. But yet they still did not believe. And I want you to understand, this is many people today. I know people, personal people, very close people to me that have heard the Word of God, that have actually acknowledged the works of Jesus, healing them, and yet they still don't believe. This is what's crazy, is that these people, as the Word of God says, they've been blinded by who? By Satan, the devil, right? But look at the Nazarenes. They give us three reasons 
why they can't believe in Him. Three reasons. The first reason is His occupation. They said that Jesus is what? The carpenter's son. Think about that. He's only a carpenter. It's a humble occupation. You know what? This guy is a carpenter only. I mean, how can I believe a carpenter? Think about that. How can I believe a carpenter? The second reason why they didn't believe in Jesus was because of his family. They knew his mother. They knew his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. These are not apostles. Remember, James is a writer and Judas is also the writer of a book here in the New Testament, but they were not apostles. Remember, when Jesus walked on earth, his own brothers and sisters did not believe in him. Think about that. Even going through these miracles. Can you imagine that? And these Nazarenes are saying, guess what? We know his brothers. We know Simon. I know Judas. I know, you know what, James. I know Joseph. I even know Jesus. And they even mention here that he had sisters. And I just want to mention this quickly because there is a false teaching out there that, there's, that Mary was a perpetual virgin, right? We all heard that, right? The Virgin Mary. There's a teaching out there that says that, you know what? She remained a virgin even after she married Joseph. But as we read the scriptures, they prove that this is false doctrine, isn't it? A false teaching. This is where we get it. As well as other scriptures that say the same thing. So the first was, of course, his occupation. The second was, we can't believe him because of his family. And the third, they couldn't believe because of his background. And let me share this with you. They knew that Jesus was not a trained teacher. They knew that Jesus was not schooled by the wise. They knew that he was not educated by the scholars. They knew that he had no medical training. And based on all of this, they said, you know what? There is no way that we're going to believe in this guy. See, they were only looking at the external. But this is the way people judge people, right? I mean, think about this. Remember the Apostle Peter and John? Remember after they were jailed? And, and then Peter and John speak and when they saw the bo- their boldness, as it says there in Acts 4.13, that they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained and they marveled because of how they spoke. See, when you come to Jesus, I want you to understand one thing. There is a wisdom that comes upon you. And that's what's so amazing. It's not your wisdom, so don't ever get big-headed. Don't ever think that, you know what, I'm going to get smart as I come to Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. It's His wisdom that you now begin to partake in. This is why we're able to make wise choices. And if you don't have wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Because His Word says that He will liberally give to all who ask. But the same is with you and I. Think about this. See, when we read 1 Corinthians 1.25, it tells us, 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, Jesus doesn't need our wisdom because it amounts to nothing. Look at what Jesus says about those that He calls. Those that acknowledge that they are nothing. Those that acknowledge that, you know what, that I am just a messed up person apart from Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, as we keep reading in verse, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. The mighty, the noble, the wise... But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Imagine that. That's why when you come to Christianity and you're able now to give counsel to, to your parents who are unbelievers. They're like, man, where did he get this wisdom? Or to friends and family that knew you when you were growing up. And they say, man, this guy was just a crazy knucklehead, right? And look at what he is now. Look at how he speaks. See, these men, they saw Jesus growing up and they saw the family that grew up with him. And they said, they're not anything special. He's not educated. How does he do all these things? But this wasn't a question of whether to believe. It was a statement that came to their conclusion, and that is in verse 57. It says, so they were offended at him. Think about that. They were offended at him, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. The Bible tells us they were offended, meaning, in other words, they were upset, they were annoyed that he was teaching as he was. And performing miracles as he was. They were basically saying, who does this man think he is? Think of that. Who does he think he is? This is a carpenter's son and we know him. We saw him growing up. We know his family. We know that he's not educated. And because Jesus knew their thoughts and their statements, this is why Jesus responds and says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. In other words, what he's trying to say, no honor, no respect comes from your own family or your own city. And why is this? Let's take a look at ourselves. How many people grew up with you? Think of that, right? And now that you became a Christian, many people will not forget the worst in you, right? See, when you start preaching at them, they're going to remember the times that you cussed at them. Your family, think about it this way. Let's talk about the women. They're going to remember the time that, your sister will remember the time that you wore her clothes and her shoes and she told you not to wear them. Or from your brothers, right? The time that you took your brother's car and you wrecked it or you... Wasted all the gas and he was upset with you. Think about it. They remember these things, right? Your parents. The things that you did to them. How are they going to forget these things? Even though they see your life turned around, even though they know that you are so very different, acting and speaking differently, they cannot forget who you were before. 
This is why Jesus says, a prophet is not accepted in his own house or in his own city. Even though Jesus spoke and did these great, great things, they could not erase the Jesus from the past. Seeing him grow up as a child. Seeing him grow up in, as a young man. And then comes the response from Jesus. In verse 58 it says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is Jesus' response, a third section. And we're going to spend the remainder of our time in this last verse. And what it's basically saying is that Jesus could not do many miracles or works. And why could he not do many miracles or works there? Because of their unbelief. See, Jesus is saying that if we have unbelief, it will hinder his miracles and his great work. Is there unbelief in your life? Think about this, right? Is there unbelief in your life? Are you lacking faith? See, is this the reason why Jesus may not be doing great works through you? Think about that. Is this the reason why Jesus isn't doing great works through you? Do you have unbelief? See, there are some in this place where God is doing great things through them. He is doing miracles through them. Is the answer to that because of their belief? Think about that. Is it because of their faith? Do you remember the list of men and women I made that I mentioned prior? Those who walked by faith and God did great works through them? Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Deborah, David, Elijah, Mary, the apostles, Paul, the thief on the cross, Jonathan Edwards, Amy Carmichael, Chuck Smith. Why was it that God was able to do great works through them? It's because they believed. It's because they had faith. See, I want you to understand what faith does. It unleashes the power of God. Understand this. It unleashes the power of God. God was able to do exceedingly abundantly be through these men and women because of their faith. See, these men and women walked by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 And Jesus said that if you can have the faith of a mustard seed, the small, one of the smallest seeds that have ever been created, you can do what? You can move the mountains. Matthew 17 verse 20 Are we a people lacking faith? Think about that. We serve a great God who wants to do great things. But where is our faith? Do we want God to do great things in this city? Then we must be what? A people of faith. Unbelief, as we read here, hinders the work of God. I'm not making this up. We all have a choice whether we will walk by faith or not. I'm going to give you one final illustration. Remember David when he was placed in the battle. See, God just sent David there, right? But he never forced David to get into the battle. 
Think about that, right? David, God just placed David in the battle, but he never forced him to get into the battle. See, it was David who chose to step out in faith and to get into the battle. Think about this, right? See, the key for all of us as a people of God is that God will never force you, but He desires you to step out in faith. See, God has placed us in this place today. He has sent you into this church. He has placed you in your city, expecting that you will make choices of faith, choices to step out. But unless you step out, God cannot meet you unless you first go. God cannot meet you unless you first go. This is where David was, right? David says, I will go. I will go into the battlefield and I will defeat Goliath because I have faith in God. And because he went out, God was able to meet him and God was able to work through him. But unless David took that step of faith, it would never take place. And I want to give you another thing. Something to meditate on. That when you are weak, he is strong. Think about this. David was a young man, nowhere near the size of Goliath, but yet, he defeated the giant. Why did he defeat the giant? Because David knew that he was weak, but that God was strong and mighty. See, where are we? See, there's an extensive list of people who stepped out in faith. All these people that I mentioned, God met them, but the key to their success was what? It was faith. This is why in Hebrews you have a long list of men. In Hebrews chapter 11, men and women of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is confidence and conviction that God can and that God will. It is confidence and conviction that God can and that God will. If we had the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. God has called us to be a people of faith, a people of confidence, a people of conviction. And I'm going to close with two more verses. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. I believe this, but do you believe this? I know that God wants to do greater things through you and through me. But are we going to step out in faith? God wants to show us all that He can do. But He can't unless you first step out in faith. And the result is this, Ephesians 3.20. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Calvary Chapel, New Beginnings, La Puente. God wants to move powerfully through us. Are we going to be a people of faith? Or are we going to be like the Nazarenes with unbelief, hindering the work 
of God. It's up to us. It's not up to anyone else. Let's be like these men and women of times past that stepped out in faith and God was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that was asked or thought. Begin to examine your life. Is God doing works through you? Is He doing great works through you? And if He's not, let's step out in faith. Let's redirect our mind and our hearts to be a people of faith. Because all Jesus says, all you need is what? A little faith. And you will be able to move the mountains. Imagine that. We can turn this city right side up. And it's not for us, but it's for Him. Amen? Let us close. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for just a reminder of faith, Lord. How unbelief, Lord, hinders Your work. But faith, Lord, just releases Your power. If there's anyone here first, before we have communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender yourself to this mighty God that does mighty and great things in and through us, that blesses you beyond your imagination. If you want the forgiveness of God, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand. We will pray for you before you have communion. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 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 Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. For those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these that you spoke to. You're reminded, Lord, of having their feet washed, Lord, and being cleansed by, by you, Lord. Lord, as they come to you by faith, Lord, believing in who you are, Lord, you forgive them. You cleanse their unrighteousness and you make them white as snow. Lord, I pray that you move powerfully in and through them. Holy Spirit, give them the power to live for Christ. And Heavenly Father, continue to pour out your grace and your mercy upon their lives as they come to a place of yielding to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, I'm going to give, I'm going to throw out another call now. And I don't want to do this only because I believe that the Lord wants to move through you. And if you see your life that is lacking faith, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone lacking faith so that the mighty works of God can be done through you, raise your hand. And we will pray for you. Anyone. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Is God doing mighty works through you? Are we changing this city? Are you changing your families? Think about this. Are you making an impact in the people around you that 
that you can say that God is moving through me, that God is making and doing great works through me? If this is you, absolutely keep your hand down. But if this is not you, raise your hand and let's pray that God would pour out faith, that we would increase our faith. Amen, amen. Anyone else? Amen, anyone else? Amen, anyone else? Anyone else? Are we satisfied where we are? Who wants to be the next Amy Carmichael? Who wants to be the next Jonathan Edwards? Who wants to be the next Chuck Smith, the Billy Graham? Think about this. Anyone else want to raise their hand before we pray? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. If we want to make a change in this city, we need faith. I'm going to pray for you, for those that raise their hand. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord Jesus, you saw these hands that went up. Lord, help them with their unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out, Lord, a measure of faith, Lord, that you would pour out, Lord, a a greater measure and that they would, Lord Jesus, step out in faith to do mighty works for the kingdom of God and for just your glory and your honor. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you. I myself raise my hand, Lord. I want more faith. Lord, we humble ourselves before you because we know that we're not where we need to be and we want to get there, Lord, sooner than later. And so we just give this to you, Lord. We pray this, Lord, and we ask this in your name. Amen.